financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with industry veterans Michael Hartsman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartsman. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman. Today is Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. And I'm on, as always, with my partner, Dominic Tavella. How are you, Dom? Doing well, Mike. Good evening. And uh, how are you? How are you this evening, Mike? We're good. We're, we, uh, we're, the, we're experiencing a typical winter mid-January day. A little snow in the morning, a little ice at night. So doing the show from home. Um, this evening, make sure we I got home before it got uh, too slippery out. But other than that, Dominic, thank God everything's okay. Uh, northeast weather, Mike, and you adapt. So uh, why not be safe rather than sorry? And we get to do the show. So not such a bad thing. Exactly. We I think we shattered a record today because because um, we haven't had accumulating snow on Long Island in, I think, over two years. So I think this morning was the first accumulating snow, I think, since 2022, some crazy thing like that. Well, it is it is winter and it is the Northeast. So that's uh, all to be expected. So here we are again, Mike, uh, another another week, another volatile week before. And sorry to steal your thunder and a big nothing burger so far. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to call it. Uh, year to date for the first two weeks of the year, the S&P, is up a whopping third of 1%. The Dow Jones is down a whole 0.2%. And the the NASDAQ is down a 0.2%. And that's with last week having a bit of a rally. But, you know, down from my perspective, first two weeks of the year, I think it's perfectly fine that the market is looking for some direction, trying to absorb data and not overreacting to the data. It's getting one way or the other. The fact that you said it's a big nothing burger is perfectly okay by me. Uh, I, I think I think uh, uh, we're both on the same page with that, Mike. And I do remind people that you know the fourth quarter, uh, at least uh, mid November through December thirty first, was pretty spectacular uh, recovery off that bottom in October. So for the markets to take a breather here and let's see the lay of the land here, let's see. What the Federal Reserve is going to do? Uh, is that such a bad thing, Mike? Let's take a deep breath and kind of set up what we think is going to happen the rest of this year. Look, not only is it not a bad thing, I would argue it's a good thing because last week the market did receive a lot of data points as related to the, the jobs market and the CPI and inflation. And it really did overreact to it once one way or the other. There were not any big swings. Um, you know, the news was absorbed. The news, in my opinion, wasn't terrible. Um, as we talked about this morning on our call, you know, one number was one tick too hot and one number was one tick too cool. So it's the same theme. Right now, we just seem to be muddling along, trying to find some direction, which, you know, as I said, it's it's fine. We don't have to have a headline news every day. Um, and and or react violently to that headline news, right, Mike? We had we had a good jobs number. It wasn't spectacular, it wasn't crazy, but a little little better than I think what the markets 
um, were expecting, and the market reacted to that. And then the inflate one inflation number was a little worse, and the other one was uh, a little bit better. But all in all, you have to argue that pretty decent data, right? Pretty decent numbers and showing that inflation is continuing to gradually slow down. Uh, the employment numbers have held up pretty well. And again, this idea of a recession or at least a violent one, uh, not not on the table, at least not for us. You know, I spoke to one of the economists this morning at J.P. Morgan, and, you know, and it, it was, seems to be a recurring theme where a lot of the 2024 ex expectations seem to be fall into the Goldilocks range, where they're predicting 2% growth, an inflation rate of 2% by the end of the year, and a 4% unemployment rate by, you know, for the for the for, for the end of the year. And I have to tell you something, if those are the numbers and in and, and not too hot and not too cold, especially heading into this election year. Dominic, I think most of us in the financial profession would sign up for that every single day. Mike, I, I couldn't agree with you more. We have a great guest tonight that hopefully will give us some more insight to that. But you're talking about an unemployment number that, relatively speaking, is pretty good, pretty healthy jobs growth in the economy, a GDP number that doesn't fall off a cliff and go into a recession and uh, inflation that comes back to that 2% target that the Fed wants, that has to be defined as Goldilocks on anybody's book. Yeah, and you said it. You know, if if a year ago, everyone was talking about we we're going to have a recession in 2023, no less. And, you know, and, and all these interest rate cuts in 2023, which you and I both thought were pre preposterous. And in 2024 is more likely we might have a recession. But I think the key word there is might still. I'm not 100% sure that a recession is baked in the cake. I, you know, I think there's an increasing possibility that we avoid a recession entirely. And we actually have your favorite expression, a no landing at all. Yeah, Mike, uh, you know, we, we, we're always looking at the data. And again, uh, the crystal ball works perfectly looking backwards, looking forwards, not quite not quite that good. But you and I have spoken about this at length with as long as job growth continues, as long as um, people can find new jobs, aren't worried about keeping their existing jobs, as long as you get reasonable pay increases, it's hard to see the economy coming to a dead halt. and you know, going into a recession. We do have cracks in the armor. We have we have uh, some 60% of people with credit card debt that, that is excessive. Um, um, and that that's problematic, right? Uh, uh, not just how these people are going to pay that money back, but um, will they have big bankruptcies? Will the small businesses suffer some bankruptcies? So that, you know, there, there are cracks in the armor, but but again, we should be able to hold up. So even if we technically were to go into recession, Mike, I don't think anybody out there really predicts, or not many, let's just say not many quote-unquote experts are predicting a deep recession. Exactly. And to your point, having those cracks in the armor is what the Fed's goal is, right? I mean, we've said it a thousand times, when they start raising interest rates, they know they're going to break stuff. 
So if they don't break stuff, they're never going to slow down the economy. They're never going to you know break inflation. So believe me, you know, if you're a part of that group of people with excessive credit card debt and might lose your job, it's awful. But unfortunately, that's what the Fed is trying to accomplish when they when they started this mission late in early in 2022 to start raising interest rates to slow things down. And Mike, maybe maybe stating the obvious, but I think it's well worth stating that, yeah, their their job was to put a break, slow down economic growth and put a break to, to inflation. But it's also their job not to purposely push us over into a deep recession. So as much as they want to break things just slightly, right, just enough to put the brakes on the economy, which which is what they're doing. I think that's pretty obvious at this point in the game. But the job is not to have unemployment go up to 7%, 10%. Their job is not to push a lot of businesses into bankruptcy. Their job is to kind of play this back and forth a little bit, sort of like fine-tuning a radio to get it just right. Difficult, difficult thing to do. But their job is not to intentionally... Uh, you know, initiate harm to either individuals or businesses. And maybe that's obvious, Mike, but maybe not so obvious to a lot of people out there. Right. And and another thing I think is really interesting is the market continues and the economy continues not to ignore, but to kind of shrug off the geopolitical news. Right. I mean, I mean, last week there were bombs dropping in Yemen, a, a coordinated effort with the U.S. And, and, and England. And and, you know, some years in the past, the market would react negatively to that, especially the oil sector. And it didn't appear to this time. And uh, frankly, Mike, if, and I get the question all the time, I'm sure you do as well. What worries you? It's actually that's the kind of thing that does worry me, right? We, uh, as much as our crystal ball does not work, we we kind of get decent weather report in terms of economic activity and economic growth, and we get that data weekly. But when a bomb goes off somewhere, when a ship gets hit by a missile. Uh, those things are unpredictable. And those are the things that we, I think, do worry me, at least, if not a lot of people in our situation. Yeah. But as I said, this even since so far, so good. Yeah. I mean, so far, so good. Exactly. Um, so listen, tonight's guest is a returning guest. He's a, He's been a frequent guest. One of our original guests is John Ede, um, this chief executive officer of August Research a great partner of ours. He's a great friend of ours. He's always willing to come on. He's actually joining us uh, from Missouri. So we shouldn't be complaining about the weather. His weather is a little more interesting than ours. Um, but we're really looking forward to get his market um, take on the economy, sectors he likes. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the AI sector as we did six months ago when he was on. So I'm li really looking forward to his comments. So we will be right back with John Ede, the CEO of Argus Research. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. 
That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-G-A-X. Le tax. Rates on cash are already so low. Why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. The Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. Okay. All right. I'm Michael Hartzman, back with my partner, Dominic Tavella, and uh, live podcasts. Um, we figured it out just in time. We have John Eads, the CEO of Argus Research, coming to us live from Missouri. Um, welcome, John. Thanks for spending the time. Thanks for taking some time out of your um, vacation, and we appreciate you joining us this evening. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Glad, glad to be back. Thanks for your partnership, by the way, too. Well, we, we certainly enjoy you having on the podcast, John, and we obviously uh, enjoy working with you and your team. So uh, good opportunity for us to pick up the ball early on in the year. Excellent. So, John, you 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 heard Dom and I's conversation in in the open, and and typically, you know, we always enjoy your Argus's take on the economy um, and the market in general, because quite frankly, you're 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 more right than wrong um, since we've been working with you. So, you know, Dom and I are both somewhat optimistic about 2024. Um, the, the the phrase that we keep hearing is Goldilocks boring, not too hot, not too cold. Um, where does where do you and your research team fall as it relates to uh, the year we just started? Well, so so thanks, Michael. Um, you know, I, I guess the kind of thing that really pops up to a lot of Americans here in 2024 is that this is an, an election year, a presidential election year. And if you go back and you look at the historical record, that fourth year of the presidential term is is historically the worst year 
for market performance. The first year starts off great with a honeymoon. The second year is is a challenge with the midterm elections. The third year, you know, we're coming off a great third year plus 20% in the market. And then the fourth year, um, it kind of falters again. But if, if you really look at the historical record, Michael, a lot of that fourth year was distorted by the year 2008, when stocks fell something like 40% in the fourth quarter. And that really had nothing to do with McCain and Obama. It had to do with AIG and Lehman Brothers. So if you take that out, um, the fourth year is is more of a normal year. And then you kind of you go and you look at the fundamentals. Where's the economy? Well, the economy is, is, is growing. It's not going to grow 4.9% like it did in the third quarter, but we think it's going to grow. You know, what's going on with inflation and interest rates? Well, a couple of years ago, inflation was 9%. Now it's, you know, 3%, right? So it, it's on its way down. There are a couple of stubborn factors there. Transportation costs keep rising. Shelter costs keep rising. Uh, but overall, we think that trend is lower. And, you know, we're seeing that in the um, fixed income market too with the, you know, two-year down from 4.8% to 4.2%. Uh, investors are starting to anticipate those interest rate cuts. So growing economy, lower interest rates. Then you take a look at the stock market, right? We're starting the fourth quarter earnings season now. Um, we just finished the third quarter a few weeks ago. That was the first positive quarter for earnings growth uh, you know, since 2002. So we've been through an earnings recession. We're on the other side. We're in an uptrend on earnings. We think the uh, current fourth quarter growth rate is going to be better than that third quarter and, and looking for earnings growth into 2024. So these fundamentals are pointing toward, you know, a, a pretty decent year in stocks with a growing economy, declining inflation and interest rates and, and a pickup in earnings. So, you know, you have a little bit of, of uncertainty over the political election. Okay. Uh, but maybe we're, we'll have more of a normal year, that kind of 8 to 10% return in the S&P 500 and not the, you know, minus 19 that we had in 2022 or the plus 24 that we had in 2023. I think a lot of people would take a normal year here. John, one of the, one of the things that um, you mentioned already um, and where, quote unquote, some of the experts out there think that there is potential for trouble is earnings. Um, they really look at or they've said uh, their uh, thoughts on where earnings are going to be this year in the S&P are dramatically, dramatically lower. Is that is that really something that your crystal ball says uh, not likely? Uh, you seem to be pretty positive on the earnings front. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so, Dom. Um, you know, last year we had probably plus 2% earnings growth with most of that generated, or I'm sorry, in 2023, by, by I mean last year, with, with most of that coming in the second half and not much of that coming from the technology sector, which is the biggest sector as far as market cap. It's also the biggest sector in contributing to earnings. I, I think this year we're probably going to see double-digit to mid-teens 
growth in the tech sector, along with more growth in communication services. That was the leader last year. And with um, uh, the consumer sector cycling past difficult comparisons and interest rates coming down for the financial services sector and perhaps a return to some IPOs and M&A, um, you know, I, I think we're going to see high single-digit, low double-digit earnings growth. It's not going to be a, a rocket to the stars, but um, I don't think it's going to be negative after those three quarters that we endured, you know, earlier this year and, and back in 2022. So, John, let's let's spend a minute talking about the consumer. For years, all we do is talk about the consumer and how resilient they are and how they really are the one of the pillars of the economy to keep it going. The consumer, in my opinion, has an insatiable appetite to spend money. Um, I don't think that's 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 easing up at all. And don't you think as long as the unemployment number stays low where it is and people have job security, that, that the consumer will continue to come through like a champ? I, I do think so, Michael. Um, you know, one of the factors that we look at is, uh, is, is consumer savings. And I will tell you, uh, the consumer savings shot up to all-time highs early in the pandemic. That's because the fiscal stimulus program sent checks to a lot of Americans and, and nobody could go out and spend that money because um, you know, everybody was sheltering in place. So that has carried the consumer for, for several quarters now. But, but you make a really good point. You know, we are near historical lows in unemployment where 3.7%, it doesn't get much lower that you know, really going back to the 1950s. And, and these are decent jobs, too, with growing wages. The last uh, non-farm payrolls report had average hourly earnings up at above a 4% rate. So wages are growing faster than inflation. Uh, the consumer is, is employed. And um, I still think there's some pent-up demand for automobiles, right? We went through that... Um, problem with the supply chain back in 2021-2022. The uh, automobile production rate isn't back to all-time highs yet. So I, I, I think there's still um, some power and boost coming to the economy from the consumer sector, e even this you know far into uh, working through the savings that they built up during the pandemic. John, you would argue that a lot of companies had done a pretty good job of what had been a really difficult environment over the last couple of years of COVID and inflation and getting products to market and, and obviously convincing the consumers to spend this money. But they, they are dealing with challenges and trying to not only get top line growth, but get that money down to the profit side, the bottom line growth. So how successful are they at doing that? And, and what do you envision going forward? So, so Tom, I, I mentioned that we're, you know, we're just past an, an earnings recession. And, and partly that's because in late 2021 and 2022, we were at an operating margin peak. I think the S&P 500 operating margin got above 14%. Um, you can't keep growing margins forever, right? You have 
costs of goods. You've got costs of labor. You, you have costs in your business. So, you know, what you want to see driving profit growth is, is, is revenue growth. But instead of even revenue growth, what we got were supply chain snags and inflation pressures and higher interest rates. And that took the operating margins from that all-time high of 14%, you know, back down to uh, around 11, 11.5%. And that's where they've been for the past couple of quarters. So that's about 300 basis points of margin compression um, that companies had to endure. So what we're looking for is, um, you know, lately the revenue growth has been driven by price increases, not volume increases. We're starting to see volume pick back up again. That's a good sign. We're also seeing the supply chain improve. We're seeing inflation come down, interest rates come down. So I, I think not only are we going to get some modest top line growth here in earnings over these next few quarters and in revenues, but we'll also see some margin improvement with lower interest costs and, and lower cost of goods sold as, as inflation comes down. So um, we're, we're, we're through, I think, the worst of that over these past few quarters, and it should be a little bit easier for companies um, you know, in through 2024. John, let's do this. We, you know, we looked at the economy from 50,000 feet in the air. When we come back, why don't we uh, pick your brains about some sectors you like, some sectors are making you nervous. Um, we'll talk about AI a little bit if, if we can and, and what's going on there. So let's take a break and we'll be right back with the Labenthal Report and John Ede in a few minutes. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom. But the beauty of the funds is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend. It's the potential for more income. Mm-mm. Less taxes. More income. Less taxes. More income. Less for taxes. your cash, ask your advisor mm-hmm. about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Less taxes. Or find out more at dcmadvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-T-A-X. Letax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. 
After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with my partner, Dominic Tavella, and our guest this evening, John E., the CEO of Argus Research in New York City. John, before we get into some of the sectors, the other thing I want to ask you about, you know, there's not a lot of things that, that keep me up at night. But the one thing that does keep me up at night is this narrative that the media, the financial media has created that the feds have to start lowering rates by, you know, April or late March, early April, because they have to lower rates six times in 2024. And Dominic and I talk about this all the time amongst ourselves and with guests. We feel that both of those um, possibilities are remote and unnecessary, and 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 you know what you know what are the circumstances that would create you know rapid rate cuts so quickly? So where does where do you fall? Where does Argus fall on this argument of six rate cuts, and we have to start cutting by the springtime? Well, um, sure, I'm ha- happy to talk about that. The good news is that the Federal Reserve has replenished its toolkit, right? In uh, the pandemic, it brought interest rates down to zero. It ballooned the assets on its balance sheet. It did everything it could to you know, try to stop that 30% decline in, in GDP. And, and a lot of those strategies worked. Uh, but then they fell behind the inflation curve and they had to move fast to get ahead of that curve. They have, um, they're back to uh, you know a reasonably full toolkit. They still don't have the assets in the balance sheet down where they want them, but they've got short-term interest rates at, at, at a good spot. And, and in addition to you know the, the better balance sheet and, and the higher interest rates, They've restored some of their credibility as well as as an inflation fighting force. And and that may mean the most to investors, really, in the long run. So I don't see the Fed wanting to spend that credibility right away, you know, especially when the economy is coming off a 4.9% third quarter, probably going to average about 3% 3% growth for the full year, right? That's that's a long run optimum rate for the US economy, 3%. That's if you get, you know, 1 to 2% of of workforce growth each year and 1 to 2% of productivity growth. You 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 don't really see that anymore. That long run number is is probably 2%. So, you know, where the Fed is now, they've gotten ahead of the curve. Uh, they don't need to be too far ahead of the curve, but they don't need to you know, start giving it back immediately either. We've got unemployment now at 3.7%. I, 
I would be surprised if the Fed cut interest rates until there was a four as the first number of that unemployment rate. And when you talk about getting to six rate cuts in one year, you know, you're probably thinking about a five as the first number of that uh, inflation rate. We we came last month with uh, 200,000 plus new jobs. You know, we're, we're, we're slowly moving toward 4%. We were at 3.5% a few months ago. We're, we're, we're nowhere near 5%. Um, you know, the economy is growing. Uh, rates are coming down. I think that the Fed's policies are working. And, and our, our thought is that, yes, the Fed does cut rates here in 2024, but they probably don't do anything until the middle of the year, you know, waiting maybe six or seven months from their last rate hike, um, and then perhaps easing two or three times in the year. So lower rates, but not dramatically lower rates, like, you know, some of the crazies out at the end of um, the, the, those forecast curves uh, might be estimating right now. And John, maybe stating the obvious, but literally six months ago, we're all talking about when will the Fed stop raising rates? And today we're having an honest conversation that they're going to lower. We just don't know when and by how much. That in itself is a huge swing in policy from the Fed and overall should be a positive for the economy. Oh, for sure. And um and, and, and you saw that play out in the market. You know, you talked in your intro about those last few weeks of, of, of the year when it, it became, you know, first of all, pretty clear to investors that the Fed wasn't going to be hiking rates in December at the December meeting, even though the dot plot from earlier meetings said there was one more hike this year. Okay, investors figured that out. And then the Fed went and said, hey, you know, we're going to be cutting two or three times in 2024. So uh, that that information signal, right, it, 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 it wasn't actually lower rates. It wasn't a, a better balance sheet. It, it was purely information, which is a powerful tool for the Fed too. sent sent stocks uh, a, a lot higher. So um, uh, the Fed would, you know, really be backtracking if they were to move off that posture. And to me, the only thing that, that, that could could send that higher would be, you know, some kind of crazy spike in transportation or shelter, you know, which are prices that have been pretty high, uh, but mellowing out, or some kind of, you know, additional geopolitical event, event that sent oil prices skyrocketing again. Uh, oil prices have come back down, you know, we look for them averaging around $70, $75 for the year. Uh, that's not a real uh, forecast for a lot of energy inflation. And, um, and, and and we think that's, you know, what the Fed is thinking about as, as they look out through 2024. John, let's get into some sectors that you like and, and, and maybe don't like. And, and let's start with the one that's been on everyone's mind. For the last year, and that's AI, artificial intelligence. Um, again, everyone talks about the Magnificent Seven. 
I'm not going to name names. You can easily Google who they are. But you and I talked about this six months ago when you were on. Um, Argus likes the category. AI is as was not born 12 months ago. It's beyond it's it's been around for a very, very long time. You know, you you talked about how AI is very important in healthcare amongst other amongst other sectors. So what's your take? Here we are six months down the road. Some of those stocks have leveled off. Some have hit higher highs. Where is Argus now on that category in, in particular? Okay, so so Michael, AI, you know, really probably announced itself to the market at that NVIDIA investor event, which was, I think, in March of, of 2023. That's when uh, NVIDIA absolutely took off and, you know, started carrying uh Google and Microsoft and Broadcom and AMD and and those other you know semiconductor and and software companies uh, uh, along with it. That's when the and, and you know Meta Meta was um, one of the companies that isn't discovering AI as much you know the tools, but it, it's doing more of of the applying. So. Um, as as we've looked out over the tech sector and and AI in 2024, we we do think there is more room to run for that you know kind of core seven that um, are well, and, and I would say even you know Amazon probably drops out of that as as, as not a real leader in AI in the way that um, uh, you know Google or Microsoft. Um, or or Nvidia is, um, but that we see continue continued evolution and and invention on AI itself, but then also spreading uh, deeper into other sectors. You know, what, one sector that that pops up to us is is real estate, um, and and the real estate investment trusts that run the the data centers, uh, you know, which support the cloud. Which is where all of the uh, AI calculations are are occurring. So there are a handful of of major data center real estate investment trusts um, that we have on our top pick list for twenty twenty four, and then um, a, a sector that I know real well, the industrial sector. That's a sector I, I've looked after for a few years. Um, there's a lot of of, of automation. Um, you know, building climate control, environmental control, and, and companies, um, you know, like an Emerson Electric or a Honeywell or a Rockwell are, are you know, a long way in integrating artificial intelligence into the solutions that they offer their customers. You know, you, you mentioned the healthcare. It's critically important in drug discovery for the, the biotechs. And, and, and the pharmaceutical companies and, and our analysts, you know, we've got 15 analysts covering about 500 stocks are certainly on the lookout for, um, you know, those companies that are talking a lot about AI and integrating it into their operations, uh, improving margins, you know, getting new products to market faster, driving revenue growth. So um, we, we, we see Yes, you know more improvement in AI itself, but but 
also more adoption of AI uh, across different uh, industrial verticals here in, in 2024. And just to follow up, I'm sorry, Dom, just to follow okay. up on the healthcare sector, I know robotics has been involved, involved in surgical procedures for a very, very long time, but isn't, isn't, even, isn't that becoming more and more standardized where it's artificial intelligence and, and robotics are doing a lot of these microsurgeries and these very fine procedures? Sure. Um, you know, narrowing down to uh, e exactly, uh, you know, what genes to modify or, um, you know, how, how to rid the body of, of the cancer uh, specifically is, is, is what AI is, is really leading advances on. Expanding on your thoughts. So I often get, well, what is this AI and how does it actually make companies, allow companies to make more money? And it invariably turns around to labor and does it take away somebody's job? So maybe you could spend a minute just talking about that. Um, yes, yes. I don't think it's, it's uh, taking away the jobs yet, but it's opening up, uh, you know, new opportunities for research and, and exploration. It, it's more data uh, to be analyzing and deciding, uh, you know, how to use, whether it is a, a new procedure in healthcare or, or perhaps a new, um, uh, you know, uh, chemical compound. So it, it's helping uh, people make better decisions. Um, I, I know there was some, some concern. There was an announcement a week or so ago out of um, Citibank that Citibank was going to be cutting jobs, and a lot of that was due to AI. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. Citigroup is very uh, linked to trends in overall global capital markets. Uh, it's been a real downturn in IPOs and M&A. Um, they had a, a, a more bloated cost structure. So I, I don't think it, it is necessarily AI that is costing jobs. I think it's AI that's going to be putting employees in positions to make uh, better decisions and, and improvements in products and services for different companies. So other than, other than AI, um, are there sectors that you and Argus are particularly excited about for the new year, John? Or, or conversely, um, apprehensive about? So um, a little bit worried about energy still. Uh, you know, we, we feel that that long term trend in in West Texas intermediate prices is is, you know, kind of back toward the fifty dollar, forty dollar, thirty dollar level. And, you know, a year and a half ago, it was at one hundred twenty dollars a barrel. And everybody was thinking that, you know, energy had turned around. Um, I, I, I don't think that is the case. I, I think with the growth in clean energy and green energy, and wind, um, and solar, and, and water um, is going to be a long-term long pressure on, uh, on, on the energy sector. It, it, it's an interesting um, sector to have in your portfolio, though, because energy zigs a lot when the market zags, right? 
know, we talked about uh, the S&P 500 falling over the summer. It did. And energy sector was the one sector that went up. So there's probably a spot for it in a portfolio, but not in any kind of overweight fashion. And it's about 4% of the market. And and, and that's not a bad area um, to uh, keep it in your portfolio. What, one of the things that we are um, looking at a lot, Michael, is a theme that really cuts across sectors. And, and that's um, signals from managements about how the companies are doing. And two signals in particular we're watching for. One is dividend growth. You know, is a company growing its dividend? In particular, is it growing its dividend at a 10% rate? The average dividend growth in the S&P 500 is around 3 to 4%. So if you're finding a company that's growing its dividend 8, 10, 12, 15%, they're telling you that their business is pretty good right here and they're, you know, looking to share some of that uh, uh, goodness back with investors. So so double digit dividend growth. And then another theme that we've been looking at especially during this earnings recession were companies that were actually raising their guidance. And there weren't that many during the recession. In fact, a lot of companies were cutting guidance or um, you know, withdrawing their guidance. But a handful uh, you know, maybe set the bar a little bit low during the year. And then as the year goes on, uh, you know, become more and more optimistic about their business and, and raise that guidance. So um, we, we found that that's a theme that that isn't just necessarily in technology. You can find that theme in industrial companies, in healthcare companies, in consumer companies. Uh, really, the, those signals from management that the you know the coast is clear and that they're optimistic about the the near and intermediate term are, are some of the themes that that we're focusing on here in 2024. And with the health of the consumer, uh, John, it's not just the consumer willingness to go out there and spend, but how they're spending their money, i.e. Internet versus box stores. So you guys focus on that? Um, we, we, we do. And um, our, our retail analyst um, has, has, has really, you know, his distributions of buys and holds and sells have been more holds than buys. And that's different from a lot of our analysts. We, we typically cover uh, you know, companies that we think are going to outperform because our clients are buy and hold long-term investors. But he was very concerned about the, the big box legacy retailers, the Kohl's, the JCPenney's, and he just, the Macy, you know, just didn't make sense to have those, uh, those on the buy list. But there were a handful uh, that he was willing to identify as, as, as you know, stocks that are probably worth holding in a portfolio. Something like a, a Home Depot or a Lowe's that have very high returns on investment capital. Or TJX companies, one of those companies that grows its dividend, you know, 10% a year, year in and year out. And, and Williams Sonoma was, was another, um, you know, very aggressive dividend grower. So there were some opportunities in retail that, that Chris has tried to highlight while, while being you know pretty neutral or negative on, on the overall 
uh, you know, big box stores, many of which have gone by the wayside, except for one uh, that has probably been his best call over the years, and and, and that is is Costco, right? Which which has that that pricing down, um, and 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 keeps its costs low, and makes a lot of money from those. Uh, annual membership fees bit of a, a a different business model so so there have been some opportunities in retail but not as many as is in some other areas like like technology you know you mentioned home depot and dom you could attest to this i've been called a lot of things but one of them john has never been called handy um however when i need, do need to get something done i'm never ordering online at home depot like that's just one of the things i think where you, if you're working on a project and want to get something done, you're going to go into one of those, into one of those stores. Um, I think Target, for some reason, has done a great job of somehow making it a destination. You know, where where people still enjoy going into Target. But I agree with you. You go into a mall and you go into some of those anchor stores, and you know they're they're virtually empty most of the time. Um, I think I think in terms of buying clothing and certain things that those bigger stores, those retail stores sell, I do think that's they're dying slowly. Michael, I I think I've lost you. I, I I haven't heard anything that you've said. Can you hear me? I can I can hear you, and I, not I, a big deal. I, I think I'm out. All right. Well, can you well? If if you can, why, uh, why don't we let John um, re-engage, and Mike, you and I can kind of pick up that conversation for a minute. John, why, why don't you go go you know go go do what you have to do? We appreciate your time, and we'll, we'll see you down the road. Uh, unfortunately, we lost John. So, yeah. Mike, uh, yeah, um, maybe okay. I got you guys. Oh, Put you're back. in. All right. So no, no, no worries. I was just talking about how I feel like, you know, certain stores like Home Depot and Target are always going to attract the retail customer. But, you know, to your point, stores like Macy's always seem to be mostly empty whenever I'm wandering through them. Right. And um, and, and that's one of the things our, our retail analyst does is he does those channel checks, right? He checks in at Walmart on a Saturday night or he walks the malls on Sundays and and brings that into his analysis. And and Michael, that's a, a plug that I'm going to have for my experienced research team. They've covered these stocks a long time. They know what to look for to help our clients identify where the opportunities are and, and where those risks are. Mm -hmm. John, we're going to run into uh, uh, a deadline here. We're going to close the show, but you want to rattle off real quick areas you like and don't like in terms of sectors, and then as much time as we have, we can we can spend a few minutes going over them. Okay, so our our overweight sectors right now are uh, technology. We've raised that to uh, an overweight, and technology is about thirty percent of the market. So that's going to be a big part of a lot of portfolios, and that's going to position. Uh, investors for a lot of growth. Uh, communication services is another sector we have overweight. And within communication services, we'd focus more on um, the internet companies and less on the legacy Verizons and AT&Ts. We also have a consumer discretionary as an overweight sector with the consumer 
uh, employed and wages growing. And our fourth overweight sector is uh, financial services. And we think that uh, falling interest rates are going to help out with um, uh, investment banking and um, and uh, with uh, the the um, uh capital markets as well. So those are our four overweight sectors. Our two underweight sectors, um, one is is utilities with interest rates as high as they are right now. We think a lot of risk-averse investors will be looking for the safety of bonds versus uh, uh, investing in utilities. And then uh, consumer staples is, is our other um, uh, sector. There's just not a lot of of, of, of real growth in consumer staples, you know, maybe one to 2% a year. And these companies are growing by raising prices, not with volume growth. So we're not seeing high quality growth there. So that's a couple of areas we're trying to avoid. And John, last question with about a minute to go. Do you see the breadth of the market um, expanding? Um, last year was driven by large cap primarily. Uh, towards the end of the year, small and mid started to participate. Um, do you see that continuing in 2024? Um, I, I, I see large caps continuing to outperform, Michael. I think it's going to be a growth year, and, and, and earnings growth is going to be coming from the large caps more than the small and the mid caps. But I, I do think the, the breadth of the market is going to be better on a sector basis, and it's not going to be you know, the, those top 10 stocks, I think you're going to get better performance uh, from healthcare, uh, from overall consumer and, and from industrial in 2024. And, and it's just not going to be that, that magnificent seven again. I will hope you're right. I'm sure you are. John, I know this was a little bit of a challenge for you. I know you made the time. You're out in Missouri, not in a big city. And I appreciate you you fighting the connectivity and sharing your thoughts with our guests. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with me, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks uh, for putting up with the challenge. Thank you, John. All right, Don. We'll see you guys later. Have a uh, great so day. Happy we're out of time, and we'll, we'll see everybody next time on the Labenthal Report. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic and Michael will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.